The phone conversation between fantasy veterans Bob Harris and Matt Waldman is a quick and dirty rundown of players, units, or teams from Sunday's games. Feel it or fuck it is our instant verdict on the fantasy value of a player situation, not the ability, effort, or character of the player. This is just how two old-timers in this industry talk when they got a lot of cover in a little time. Good morning, Matt Waldman. How are you? Well, it's good to see you. I tried to Wally Pip you with Heath Cummings, but he could only do one sure, week. And, I thought for sure know. I was a goner after that one. It was fantastic. I'm like yeah. going, uh-oh, this is not going to work out well for Bob Harris. He's a good guest, but, you know, he can't replace Bob Harris. Nobody can replace Bob Harris. You know, I, I try to replace Bob Harris, but I can't replace Bob Harris. I am Bob Harris. He is Matt Waldman. You follow him on Twitter at Matt Waldman. Uh, follow me at Football Die Hard. Go to our respective websites. One's called Football Die Hard. The other one's called MattWaldman.com. Matt Waldman RSP, I guess, works too. What is the difference? The MattWaldmanRSP.com is you can find out all the work that uh, I do that goes into the... You know, you can get free stuff there. And then if you want to pay for the work that goes into it, you I, know, I go to that. Go to MattWaldman.com. Like yeah. I like to pay up. All right. Yeah. Let's dive. Look, things are getting busy, Matt. Everybody's on the practice field. There's a lot going on. So I think I want, you know, for this field or fuck it, I want to, you know, I want to feel the context, right? Because fuck all this noise that's coming out. So we got the Jonathan Taylor situation, right? He shows up. Obviously, he would like an extension. Jim Mercy hints that there's not going to be an extension. Jonathan Taylor's agent jumps in. The next thing we hear, though, is that this situation has been devolving for some number of times. He requested a trade, apparently met with Jim Irsay in his uh, super liner luxury bus uh, there on Saturday then, but and, and requested a trade. Well, apparently, according to Stephen Holder at ESPN, this trade was requested way sooner, and this situation's been going south for quite some time. I think Holder's term was, it's a mess. Right, and so then we hear yesterday that maybe the team is considering putting him on the non-football injury list. Maybe they don't have to pay him because he has a back problem. Go with the ankle injury. He's on pup right now, coming off ankle surgery. So, a lot of moving pieces here. The sources tell both Stephen Holder and Mike Chappell, super good reporters, that that the back issue about the back issue. Uh, Taylor fires back on his Twitter. Nothing matter with my back. Check your sources. Well, I can probably take a guess at who the sources are here. Probably sitting at a luxury bus at the side of practice right so so um this situation so there's these situations come up matt and and i'll go ahead and throw in an injury situation because there are a handful of those uh you know kenneth walker the third has a groin injury he's not practicing zach charbonnet uh, in seattle has a shoulder issue they say indefinite we hear these things and we say fuck it i'm not drafting these guys is that the right approach or is you know how do we put this into context as we're drafting in real time yeah i think that's the that's one of the best questions that you can ask really um, on behalf of any fantasy GM um, how to approach these things. And I think that what you have to do is you have, I think the best thing for you to do is one is assess what your risk level tolerance is as a, as a GM. If it's high risk, then that means that you're okay with taking multiple risks on players, whether it, it's due to boom bust profile injury um, ish history or holdout history, something like that. That That's fine. But then I think you need to start asking yourself some questions about um, how many risks do you take at different points in your draft? Are you willing to, you know, I think a high risk drafter is someone that takes maybe one risk in the first five rounds and maybe one or two risks in the rounds five to 10 and then takes higher, you know, high upside 
players regardless of what their floor is after rounds 10 okay and so you may you know a medium risk guy probably won't take any risks in the first five rounds maybe take one risk rounds five to ten and then make take more risks after that a low risk person maybe one risk in the first ten rounds of your draft you know of the types that we're talking about so when you take a look at guys that are like Charbonnet and Walker I think you have to look at that and say well if I'm gonna take a risk if I'm a high-risk guy, Charbonnet is probably not going until after right. round 10. Kenny McIntosh, who's getting a lot of talk now because he's the third guy up and he's had a nice camp thus far with some nice cutback runs and catches the ball well. And, you know, he's an all-around good back out of Georgia. You can probably get him also late. So, again, that's none of that's difficult. Kenneth Walker is a risk, though. So if you're a high-risk drafter, you may have one or two more picks that you might take like him if you're going to take him. If you're a medium risk ta- drafter, that's the one guy you, you're you going to take a risk on. That's it. If that's the guy wanna... that you want to say, hey, I'm going to Brees Hall this, for you. you know, Go Javante. <laughs> that's right. For you. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, none of that. You know, no Kadarius Tony. Nah. No. You know, none of, none of those guys. You're taking Kenneth Walker as your main risk. If you're if you're a low risk drafter, well, you know he just leaves your board at this point, and you're hoping for Charbonnet or um, McIntosh. or McIntosh to be the guy, or Dalvin Cook when he gets the call. Right. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about him in a second. And look, these are the things you know. One of the reasons we talk about drafting as late as possible, obviously, but we don't all draft late. I've been drafting since February, and what you're doing is you're drafting in the moment with the best information you have, and you're making your decisions based on that. You explained it perfectly. I always say. You can have a risk in your roster without having a risky roster. That's the goal, right? You can you can mitigate the risks you take with more players you're more confident in, all of which guarantees you nothing, right? Uh, the other end of that coin is the other side of that coin is like you know, uh, like nobody remembers who came in second place. People, nobody, nope. right? So you know, taking some chances often works out for the best. I mean, everyone has their own approach. You said it best. It's personal risk tolerance comes into play. So. Uh, I think we're feeling this similarly, and I think it's a wise approach to take. And, it, you know, there's a lane for everybody. And there's players there for everybody. Like, if you don't want to take the risk in the Kenneth Walker range, there's a bunch of players who aren't risky in that range or who don't have the perceived risk that he does going into the game. I'm going to be stuff. covering a lot of them this week in this week's gut checks. So I went from boom-bust players last week, and I'm going to talk about who I think are the <laughs> safest players. And I'll be looking draft. for that. So, uh, so I think, you know, look, we'll see how these situations resolve, in particular Jonathan Taylor. I think a lot of these uh, contentious situations, I'll say it again because I say it a lot, um, but it bears mentioning that the public portion of negotiations are always the most contentious portions. Yeah. And that's why you see Saquon Barkley, you know, when they're talking like, oh, no, he's not showing up. He's not going to do a damn thing. And then, oh, he's got a deal, yeah. right? Because those things happen. The deals get done behind the scenes. The yeah. public negotiation Let's, portion is to is to get fan bases riled up and hopes that that has a some sway over man. And, and let's let's make one last comment about Bob Ursay or Jim or Jim, Jimmy or Bob and, and Bob because the point being is like just like I talk a lot about Kyle Shanahan not his apple not falling far from the tree with Mike 
when it comes to maybe thinking he's the smartest man in the room, and he probably is when it comes to scheme, but maybe not personnel in terms of handling and, and functional communication with individuals. That's a that's a criticism that Kyle's starting to get that Mike definitely long deserved. Um, well, you know, Jimmy Ursay is an impulsive individual, and guess what? Bob Ursay fired fired Howard Schnellenberger, the great Howard Schnellenberger, in the fourth quarter of a game after browbeating him on the sideline and Schellenberger said something sarcastic. So he called up his GM and told the team in the press box in the fourth quarter of the game that Schnellenberger's been relieved and that the GM is coming to coach the team. Jeff Saturday much type of vibes you feeling on that? <laughs> right. You know, plus he lied about lied to John Dutton or he lied about John Dutton during a contract negotiation, a former defensive end who wound up at the Cowboys, who was a fine player, and lied to the league about him to basically undermine negotiations. Lionel Mitchell sued him for, um, or say, for discrimination and wrong faith in, in terms of bad faith in terms of negotiations back in the day. And Lionel Mitchell was probably the Alvin Kamara of his day. Um, you know, as a player, and you know, I could go on and on, but all I'm saying is that Jimmy inherited this team from Bobby, and and Jimmy and Bobby seem to act a lot alike. So I, I think he just, like you said, the contentious part of the contract negotiations. Just understand that when you have a volatile personality like Jimmy, he's going to run his mouth off like the drunken kicker that he once had. Yes. Um, and then the Peyton Mannings of the world and the, and the Chris Ballards and all those folks will probably patch things back up. I think you were, I, I think you made the point with the, uh, the, the childish versions of their uh, surnames there, the, the Jimmy's and Bobby's. I think that did. I think that was the main point. And by the way, Jimmy, uh, texted Albert Breer and said we ain't trading them and not now and not in October and and like all these stories try to ask yourself what are we going to be talking about in September right Jonathan uh, Taylor week, running for 120 yards and catching that would be another 30 uh, yards worth of on the range of possible on. outcomes I think that's probably the, on the more likely end than the, yeah. the other possibilities but we'll see about that don't Saquon trade Barkley, Jonathan Taylor fantasy right. GMs don't right. trade him right Saquon Barkley got his deal a slight sweetening of the one-year deal which is all he can get now that they've missed the window to extend to a long-term contract um I think he got what 11 million or something you know just a little bit over a couple million over the over the tag and makes everyone happy and we'll see what happens next year uh is this good news for Josh Jacobs how are you seeing the Josh Jacobs situation in Vegas um I think I think the Giants you know even though you can criticize some of the personnel selections they make over the years overall they're a well-run organization and when they aren't they tend to get the they tend to get the um, wobbly wheel out of the way and, and change the tire and get things fixed I don't know if you can characterize the Las Vegas Raiders in the same light, um, but I'm slightly more hopeful for, for Josh Jacobs. I think Josh Jacobs has a decent enough perspective that, and he's a, the type of player that wants to play, that'll override enough to go, I wanna make more money, the current market's not fair, it's probably never gonna be fair during my career lifetime. I'm gonna say something about it, but ultimately I wanna play. Right, fuck it. I, I see the path now. Saquon Barkley has shown the way uh, to to end Giants to, to their credit. By the way, and they did circle back around, and it was uh, you know it was Joe Shane, the GM there, who went back to Barkley's people and got it going. And Jacobs, we'll see. I mean, I did talk to a local observer who who thinks he will show up the first week of the season. 
who also believes that maybe Zamir White looks a lot more explosive this year. So maybe there's a little more complications to that. I'm feeling those complications, and I'm still uh, still. And, and I mean, I've, I haven't adjusted my approach on Jacobs. I think I was dialed back on him a little bit just based on that super heavy usage thinking it's not going to repeat. And, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to draft last year's best team. I'm trying to like draft this year's best team. So I've, I've dialed him down a little bit, but but no further because of the contract at this point. If it gets closer to the season, maybe I'll start considering that and looking at other options in that same price range. State, you mentioned something, the state of the running back value in general. Running backs are angry. Uh, are you feeling they have a chance to rectify this or fuck it, man? They're just doing I think they're sort of doomed right now until the next CBA, and yeah, I, and that's that's the unfortunate thing, and 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 probably there's not much more that we probably need to say about it unless we get into yep. the weeds with contracts, and let's not do that. <clears throat> nope, let's not do that. Javante Williams, I mentioned before, Brees Hall, uh, J.K. Dobbins, all have uh, ongoing issues. Javante Williams seems to be in the best spot of these people right now. He did not get on. He did not open camp on the pup list also maybe had the worst of the injuries of between he and Hall had all three ligaments torn. Um, Brees Hall on the pup, Dalvin Cook visiting the Jets and sounding like he's very, very enthusiastically joined them if given the opportunity. Um, J.K. Dobbins, John Harbaugh's calling it complicated. I don't know if it's the knee or the money. I'm not sure the money is going to change much. He doesn't have a lot of a game action under his belt. And uh, I'm not sure what he's angling for here. If it's a, if it's some kind of new deal, yeah, he, uh, he hasn't he, he hasn't been, you know given himself or had the opportunity to show a lot of these three players. Which one are you feeling the most right now as you're drafting? Honestly, I'm I'm feeling J.K. Dobbins only from the sense that running backs know that he's good because when they make when they interviewed Dalvin Cook on NFL.com what was it Good Morning Football yep. I saw a little segment on, on he did. that he had some and, really little complimentary you know, words yeah and Dalvin Cook said you know when all the running backs are in a room saying you know look JK Dobbins is you know is a good running back but just because he didn't get um you know he hasn't been on the field as much cuz he had an injury Dalvin Cook's like well I had an injury and nobody during my career in the NFL and when we were negotiated, they didn't weigh that in because they knew I was good. You know, they knew what I could do. And I think that the team knows what he can do, but they're because of the way contracts are now, they know they have the advantage. So they're getting kind of cute or obtuse with some of this stuff and it filters out into the media and the public, the public likes to go, well, he's unproven because it's the fantasy public that says that anybody with a couple of eyes and their brain connected or disconnected from the fantasy water, you know, water fountain probably understands that JK Dobbins is a good back when healthy. And he had one bad injury. He had a cleanup surgery and look great after that. So, and, yeah. and I think that's, this is why you're correct, right? For me, we can take this back to the top of what we're talking about with the Taylor, the agitation, the excitement, the concerns in the moment. I feel like this is the same thing with Dobbins. Whereas Javante Williams and Brees Hall, we have a little more history backing up the fact that guys coming off, including J.K. Dobbins <laughs> and his teammate Gus Edwards and, and many, many more. I mean, uh, we can probably count the guys that came off torn ACLs yeah. just in general on one hand easily. I want to say Adrian Peterson. Yeah. I want to say Jamal Charles. Beyond that, I don't know anybody who just came back going great guns. Who am I missing? Yeah, exactly. And let's remember, they're anxious to have him in Todd Munkin's offense, which, you know, as a pro, as a pro offensive coordinator, 
he was the architect for Cleveland Browns offense with yep. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Yep. Um, and also at the University of Georgia, where he's had a number of fine running backs to work with, and he can both spread the field and get a get good receiving play out of these backs as well as work the power running game. So I think you're going to see them spread the field more. That's going to benefit a guy like Dobbins, and they know this. And Dobbins, you'll look at his stats in college, and you'll go, but he wasn't much of a receiver. And you have to look at the film, folks. You have to look at the film. Go watch the national chip. Watch the playoff game against Clemson and watch him, you know, make plays that a running back makes out of the backfield as a receiver, and you'll understand that he's been able to do it just like Fournette was able to do it. Right, just I've like remember Melvin Leonard Fournette Gordon couldn't was catch able to do football. it. Just like Jonathan Taylor was said that he couldn't right. t- catch the football. All those guys who actually, if you just watched enough of what they're supposed to do, it could have been five targets, and you'd still be like, he can catch the football, that's enough. You know, so right, I'm loving it. I'm I'm with you on J.K. Dobbins. The other two concern me. I I do think you know Javante Williams is going at the right price. He's outside the, just outside the running back two range. If you want to invest in him as a guy that maybe can help you out at the end of the season, but sure. that's how you should view it. Reese Hall uh, going too high for me. He's still on underdog fantasy right now. Running back is still in the top twelve. Still viewed as a running back one yeah. or being drafted as that. If Dalvin Cook lands there, he. He destroys want, that either way. I want the guy one full season removed from his ACL exactly. who psychologically right trusts his leg as opposed to the guys who may still not psychologically trust the leg even if it's healthy. That's the right answer. Um, and we mentioned Dalvin Cook. He's going to land somewhere. Miami's still in the opening. Patriots have been mentioned. Ezekiel Elliott visited there. Fournette has visited there. I think those two seem like kind of Patriot-type moves. Yeah. Uh, see if you're with me on this one. Kareem Hunt. Are you feeling him as the guy that's going to come out of nowhere and destroy someone's fantasy value? Oh, without a doubt. He's the he's probably the best of the of the running backs other than Cook that are available on the market right now. He worries um, me. And he would yeah, <laughs> been very I, quiet. I've been hoping to be honest like I'm I'm telling you right now it, it probably feeds into one of our one of our topics that that I know we were going to discuss is Vikings faith in Alexander Madison because if there's a back who's played in a system similar to that it would be Kareem Hunt and if Madison doesn't look great or the depth doesn't look strong and well, I don't think it is as strong as they they would like it to be Kareem Hunt could just totally wreck that scenario. Well, let's go to that because I, 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 we were going to get to that Vikings faith in Alexander Madison. Are you feeling that? I was I was feeling it until Ben Gessling wrote an article in the Minneapolis Star Tribune in which he prominently mentioned all three, the guys behind him on the dev chart, tied to Chandler, Kenne, Nwangwu, and uh, Dwayne McBride as possibly having roles. I'm thinking, this is a team that only threw the ball at 35% of the time last year. If we're going to start dividing that pie, I don't know if we're going to get what we expect out of Alexander Madison. If they added a key piece like a cream hunt. By the way, Drew Petzing was the coordinator, was an offensive coach in Cleveland in the past. He's now the offensive coordinator in Arizona. My James Conner shares are very nervous right now. There you go. I'll say that. Yeah, and there's a Kareem Hunt-esque back there that I compared in the RSP um, to one Keontae Ingram. So who can catch? But I'll say this. um, Dalvin Cook in that same interview, when they asked him about 
his departure from the Vikings, he said it was all good, lots of respect, but they, you can see the right on the wall that they're going to veer away from wanting to hand the ball off as much. They're going to throw the ball a lot more, and they just didn't see me in their plans. Now, Alexander Madison can catch the football, but so can Ty Chandler. And Kenny Nguangu is a nice speedster. Maybe if they get him out in the space, that might work out too. And then there's this Dwayne McBride kid that everybody seems to be excited about, but I'm still waiting for him to hold on to the football and, and get some fundamental things in, in order there. That said, I think that Madison still is someone that you want to acquire. As long if you can get him outside of, I, I'm trying to remember what his ADP is, but I, I'd say if you can get him outside of the sixth round, if you can get him in round seven or eight, I think that's a nice deal. You might not be able to get him there. He might be a fifth or sixth round pick. If you do like the the the, the upside down drafting zero RB type of thing, then yeah, maybe he's your first back um, that you take. Uh, just so you know, on, on underdog fantasy, he's jumped up to running back 18. So he's he's going in the fifth round. Yeah, fifth round for him, not bad. Just because you know you're getting a block of guys ahead of J.K. Dobbins. Uh, yeah, see, that's the thing. Ahead of Miles Sanders, ahead of Cam Akers, ahead of Damian Pierce. Yeah, that's pretty interesting on that end. And I think that that's looking at last year's production and pasting that in. Madison himself, if Madison were playing for the Cleveland Browns, right, he'd be mm-hmm. running back, he might be running back, you know, 12 instead of running back 18. Um, but on this offense and what they're going to do, they're looking for someone to to provide an addition to Madison because Madison doesn't have top end speed. They're looking for someone who can be that big play compliment for him. Um, But I think that he gives you kind of what you've seen from Elliot while people were complaining about him, but before the wheels supposedly fell off last year. Um, So I wouldn't even, you know, so I, I look at Madison as you're probably getting a low end running back too, and that's fine. You're pro- what you see is what you get. All right, I, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I have some shares. I'm not out there, you know, like adjusting my strategies to to somehow include Alexander Madison again. I mean, if you know they they throw the ball a lot in Minnesota, you'll be surprised to learn they're built to pass. They got a lot of targets. Okay, Joe Burrow uh, injured the calf muscle. Uh, I feel like we could have had this conversation. Well, actually, we could have had this conversation each of the last two years when he missed like the entirety of his own training camp coming up in ACL uh, in 2021, coming having to suffer having to undergo an appendectomy last year. Uh, didn't seem to slow him a lot once the regular season hit. Um, the, calf strains can be tricky, though, Matt. So, uh, is that, so I don't know where you had him ranked. I've kind of had him at four. I think the ADP has had him at four. I've already seen in drafts since then that he's fallen down below Lamar Jackson, below Justin Fields in some of these drafts that I've been doing in real time. Uh, are you moving him at all? No, I think he's three or four for me, and I'm I'm more than fine with keeping him that way for the reasons that you stated in terms of what happened in the past and how his production fared. So I'm and also, good. based on that high-end receiving core he has, and also Joe makes it back. Oh, so just like, let me throw this out at you. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling like if you're a swing-for-the-fence player, are you feeling that L- Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields are guys that have quarterback one seasons in them this year? Much more Lamar Jackson than Justin Fields. But Justin Fields, I think, has low-end quarterback one, um, maybe mid-range. But I think Lamar Jackson has top three 
quarterback upside. So I would give the... We like the Munkin. Yeah, I like the Munkin. I like the Beckham. I like the Save Flowers. There's that Bateman kid if they needed him to. Oh, yeah, there's Mark Andrews, the leading receiver on the team, and and, and the other two tight ends. And I say the other two because people forget <laughs> about Charlie Kolar who's having a nice camp too. So they're oh loaded at, at, in terms of pass catchers. Use a lot of the, a lot of two tight end personnel in Georgia, uh, like a predominant to, to yeah. 12 personnel. So, um, so Devo Samuel, best shape of his life, Matt Waldman. A lot of it's, it's so it's best shape of his life season in general. How do you feel like feel or fuck best shape of his life? Uh, fuck it in the sense that like his baseline level of shape was good enough. Right. Um, you know, so how much, how much so, better could it be? Yeah. Now, if you said to me, Debo Samuel has spent endless hours working on press relief co release coverage and wow. he's like dominating in camp and press against press coverage in, an air, in a way that he never has, that I would take notice on. But some of these guys, it's like, look, I don't need you to, to win fitness pageants. What I really need is you'd have the baseline stuff. And are you working on your game? Like, say, Evan Ingram with Coach Lee, Lieberman last year to get that contract where now he's using his hands better or Darius Slayton using his hands better to catch a football. Right. Th that's more important to me. Also, I would like to, you know, I would like to be informed if we have WSOHL, worst shape of his life, uh, that might be more. <laughs> Lendale White, I think, had a good, was probably pretty good at that. So <laughs> was Gary Brown, if you remember. Gary, if you're an yep. old folk like us, yeah. Gary Brown, yeah. who once weighed almost 300 pounds and then shifted back down, he was kind of a Saquon Barkley-like runner without the juice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brock Purdy is on schedule, uh, feeling him locked in as the starter week one. Absolutely. That's the, that's Mike, you know, that's Kyle Shanahan's automaton, you know, right there. And no, no offense to Purdy, who's a fine young player, but yeah, that's, that's, he's the guy who's going to run the scheme exactly as ordered. Yes. And, and by the way, uh, to, to, to great end last season, uh, according to the win loss record during that period. So, uh, and also, the fantasy production was not horrible for him or the pieces around him. Last one on San Francisco, wide back roll. Has it gone the way of the dodo with Christian McCaffrey there for Debo Samuel? Oh, the oh for Debo getting the running yeah. back roll. Yep. Yeah, I think it's gone. I think he asked for it to be gone, and it's gonna. He'll have small cameo appearances at best. Mike Tomlin thinks the Steelers need to get more out of Kenny Pickett. <laughs> Second-year quarterbacks, someone's going to break out. Uh, are you feeling Kenny Pickett as the potential breakout uh, candidate at the quarterback position this year? I think it's possible. Um, I'm not. I don't know if I'd say probable. I don't think. I think low who's more probable? Al Rid Ritter. I would say, ooh, out of all those guys, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll uh, now that I've climbed up off the raft and see what's out there in the ocean. <laughs> I'm going to swim back to the Kenny Pickett raft there and 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 hold on to the handle. Yeah, we'll say Kenny Pickett. All right, George Pickens, breakout coming, feeling it? Yeah, I'm feeling that. I think that he's going to be the second. Um, he He's going to be one of the top two leading receivers in volume. And I'm not sure Deontay Johnson will be the other one. I'm starting to like what I see from the old man, Allen Robinson. 
maybe Allen Robinson's a little bit more. He's not overtaken Deontay Johnson for me yet in my projections, but I gave him some significantly more volume after what I'm hearing and seeing about him. I'm hearing and seeing those same things, and, and yet I find my and, and I'm someone who is like totally feeling the cheapest piece of any situation. And you still I'm, feel I'm like still, you're still Charlie like, Brown going, oh, I don't want to kick that football. Yeah. Well, you know, the price is right. So I, there will be some shares before the, the end of best ball drafts are over for me. Stefan Diggs says, all is well in Buffalo. Are you feeling it? Yeah. I think this goes back to our first question, right? Like, what are we going to be talking about in September? Listen, guys are guys, right? Like, guys can have, you know, knock down, drag out arguments and... Mm -hmm everything's well at the end of the day i had a i had a boss once who got angry at a situation it wasn't my fault but it, i happened to be the one that had to be caught up in the in the situation with dealing with people and i and he threw a walk across the kitchen and it clanged off the other side of the wall and he was yelling and screaming and i was yelling at him and and at the end of the shift we sat we each sat down on a stoop and he handed me a beer clinked you know, clink bottles and all was forgotten, you know? Right. And I think this is what happens is with more magnified media and bigger egos, you know? Right. Football is an emotional game, right? You're yeah. in the heat of the moment. It's a physical violence sport and things are going on. And, it, and at any given time, the frustrations mount and people's tempers boil over. It would be unusual if they did not, yeah. uh, I would say. So I'm with you there. Stefan Diggs. I think Stefan Diggs is the, is the illustration of what we were talking about at the top. What are we going to be talking about in September about all these super contentious situations where things have boiled over at the moment? They'll probably be smoothed over. Uh, that is like going to be the 130 yards, two touchdowns. Right. Yeah. That, that's going to be the overwhelming <laughs> majority of cases. It's not going to be 100 percent of cases. You know, we can go back sure. and Le'Veon Bell showed us that there are alternative universes out there. I think he wishes he had never stepped into that alternative Melvin universe. Gordon. Melvin Gordon. Right. Yeah. So so it does happen. But but it is not the it's not the rule. It's the exception. Yeah. Uh, just so I was talking to a local beat writer, Johnny Venerable in Arizona, uh, this weekend, and he seems really keen on Kyler Murray. And okay, I mean, I get it, and they did pay him. I think you know, and, and, and I just so are you feeling in this offense? How much better is this offense with Kyler Murray than it is without him? <laughs> um, I want proof. So I the, you know where I stand right now. Sarcastically, I'd say not that much. Um, but to be honest, the potential for this offense to be much better is far higher with Kyler Murray than it is without him. The reality of this offense with Kyler Murray is likely to be not as much better than you would than what you actually expect than with a guy like Colt McCoy, because one player, Colt McCoy, is actually better at keeping things on schedule better at managing a pocket, better at taking responsibility for his mistakes, and better at not um, basically um, creating yeah. rapport and communication issues and actually allowing players to continue with their routes and their offensive linemen to do their jobs without destroying all of that in the name of your vain athletic ability. Um, so yeah. uh, let me put a fine point on this. Matt Wallman totally feeling Colt McCoy's old man superpowers. Well done, Matt Wallman. <laughs> Hey, listen, I have my AARP card now, so, you know, <laughs> you know, Colt's not that far away. 
Rookie quarterback check. Let's just do a heat check here. Uh, Anthony Richardson, Rave review. He's going to miss a day or two of practice. Had to have a little procedure done to fix his septum. Uh, Bryce Young, officially quarterback one in Carolina. CJ Stroud, officially competing, unofficially not competing at all. Uh, on track to be the starter. According to Aaron Wilson, who covers that team on a daily basis, told me that this week. Um, just our feeling where these guys are at is about where you expected to be at at this point. Anything, anything that's uh, causing you consternation? No, because all of them are prepared. All of them have, um, you know, have started to get people to uh, on the team to like him in the locker room. They're doing all the things that they need to do in the process to get ready. And then when the game starts, the real action starts, that's when you're going to see the ups and the downs. And that's what we should expect is the ups and downs um, with these players this year. So as long as they're not woefully underprepared or the coaches is like, Doing the Jerry Glanville, it's going to take a charter plane to go down for me to ever start Brett Favre. You know, then you're, you know, then in those situations, you know, outside of those situations, these guys are on schedule. Right, I'm totally with you. Uh, let's go to the rave review department here. And uh, I, I picked three guys, two of them for which they are the nails to my hammer. I am the hammer, they are my nails. And one that might be yours, uh, Jameer Gibbs drawing rave reviews, Darren Waller, like, lustrous reviews and and Dalton Kincaid getting great reviews um how over the top are they are you, how over the top are you feeling them to be or fuck it they're totally true and all my love for Jameer Gibbs and Darren Waller is going to be repaid handsomely I feel like Gibbs is um probably on point um as long as the over the top isn't he's Marshall Falk he's not right. He's in. He's between two foxes. I keep saying over and over again, but he is. He's a good player who's going to probably do better than. Come DeAndre on, closer Swift. to Marshall than Kevin, uh, though. Yes, he is. But Kevin was underrated. But so so. But I'll say this: he's going to do. I think he'll do at least as well as DeAndre Swift, if not better, in the rushing column and in the red zone. He's a more versatile. He's what they wanted DeAndre Swift to be, and right. that's why they got rid of him. So. Waller, um, I'm not feeling that as much. I only because we it's know man who among boy level talk, right? Yeah, I mean, we, it's like yeah. it's like he's playing with a ch children's team out yeah. there. He's he's yeah. standing out so much. We, we know who he is. Court. Yeah, we know who he is already. It's about whether he can stay healthy. And right. when you know, it was funny that Bloom Sigmund Bloom had a a tweet that he copied and quoted that said. You know, basically, the, the tweet was about how they had to take Waller out of the practice because they needed Daniel Jones to throw the ball to somebody else. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, like, to, to me, Waller's the guy that everyone's going to be paying attention to. He's good enough to be that primary guy. But can he play a full season? That's that's the biggest right. question about him. Kincaid, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm totally feeling that. And I just look at it this way. Gibbs, you've got to take in the first, what, three to four rounds? At, definitely. At, at, if you're drafting with me, definitely in the first three. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's probably going to be higher by the time the preseason rolls around Certainly. and he has a couple of highlight plays and he's going to wind up being taken at the end of the first round or mid-second. So you're already paying the premium for him. Waller, you've got to pay a premium for, for the most part and hope he can stay healthy. And then Kincaid... You're not paying the premium for. He's barely even listed as a tight end one, and people are like, "Well, no, you know, I hear this over and over again. History says that he's just never going to be, you know, going to be productive that way." 
listen, I, I I think I've been the guy saying that recording for year after year after year after year. So if I'm the guy telling you that you need to ignore that shit and you need to take this guy at the value that he is right now because he's not a tight end. He's listed as one. He's getting paid as one. But in this offense, he's a wide fucking receiver. He's a wide receiver. Draft him by the draft him right now because you're going to get a guy who is going to be that second player to Stefan Diggs who can win one-on-one. Gabriel Davis can't do it. James Cook only does it in a limited level within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, you know, or a wheel route, which happens like three times a year. Um, Khalil Shakir drops too many passes right now in camp and main, and doesn't have that contested catch ability to the level that Kincaid does. And Kincaid's going to be moved around everywhere. And that's why they said we had a vision for him. When Ken Dorsey said we had a vision for him, that vision started before the draft, after they finalized their board and decided we want Dalton Kincaid, and if he doesn't fall to us, we're trading out of the first round. In a pretty good draft, we're trading out of the first round because that's the guy we want. That tells me they had a plan for him, and they've been like, you know, we don't want to rush that plan. We want to make sure he gets the fundamentals down. What it basically is, is we need him to be able to look like a tight end in two tight end sets as the backside blocker, make sure he can at least do that and run some routes in the, in the middle of the field before we start splitting them out as a mismatch against a whole bunch of people, you know, outside and in the slot. And that's common. Talk it's about common. Dalton Kincaid. Like I talk about Mike Gusecki, uh, <laughs> who is far cheaper, by the way, people. And uh, there is a path. Listen, if, listen, they're making them watch Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski tape in New England. All that is, is wistful like nostalgia because Mike Gusecki to either one of those two players is basically like saying Weird Al Yankovic to like Beethoven. Okay? But also compared to the rest of the receiving core, he is like those guys. You're right, because they can't draft like, wide receivers worth a right, shit. That's, you're that's right. the that's you're, the you're, whole you're, my whole you're, argument. You're, you're, also yeah. Also, going back to what you said about uh, Kincaid being what they want. I'm going to say the same thing clearly about Gibbs. If you saw the videos floating around on Twitter, looked like they were ready to take him at six, right? I mean, yeah. seriously, yeah. ahead of Bijan, apparently. Uh, well, you know, he seemed to be their guy. Also, I feel like they feel the same about Sam Laporta, and the glowing reports on Laporta have been very yeah. similar. And with Jameson K- Williams out early Kincaid, in the season. You know, it was Kincaid and Laporta in the RSP 1-2. Right. Yep. And I think both those guys have a shot to be starters this year. Kincaid, to me, has the shot where it may not be probable, but it's possible, highly possible, the slight difference there, of being a top three guy this year. I'm with you. Trading camp fights. It's this that time of year. Travis Kelsey's been throwing uh, throwing hands. Stop it, Travis. <laughs> Says he's gonna drop it. Uh Jonathan Gannon, to his credit, he has a like a non-negotiable. We don't do that here because if you do that in a game, you get thrown out of the game. We talked about tempers boiling over, issues like this. Uh Matt Walvin, how excited are you for training camp fights this time of year, especially when two teams uh are practicing together? Well, there's there's this. I like training camp fights for one reason it's a stupidity factor thing 
if the guy takes his helmet off in a training camp fight, <laughs> I'll never draft. He's him. <laughs> an idiot. I'm not drafting that dude. Like that's number one right there. You know, I'm either I'm not drafting him or I'm thinking this dude is crazy. I am totally drafting him. It depends on the position that he plays. So we'll put uh, it that way. Uh, I'm, it's probably not actually part of our draft strategy. People were kind of just having a little fun with it, but right. it is something you're going to see a lot of coming up for the reasons outlined above football being the emotional sport, violent, physical, frustrating, all those things. Tempers will boil over, including those of Travis Kelsey. And apparently none of the Cardinals will get in any fights. Um, and so we'll fix, finish today off with the, the best fight of all, a verbal uh, back and forth going on. So Sean Payton, and I thought it was interesting the way the article framed that Jared Bell from USA Today walked into Sean Payton's office and Sean Payton said, I got to tell you something. Not like, hey, Sean, tell me this. It was like, Sean Payton, I want to tell you something. Nathaniel Hackett, the worst coach ever to live, the worst job in the NFL history. First of all, was Payton wrong in his assessment? Um, I don't have the expertise of Sean Payton to be able to do all that, but it was pretty bad. I'll just say it was pretty bad. And Peyton being the no-holds-barred kind of like, I don't give a fuck what what I'm going to... I'm going to tell you what I think overall. It must have been pretty bad for him to come out and violate the fraternity of former NFL coaches like that. I, I think... And so Aaron Rodgers, by the way, isn't just, you know, coached by Nathaniel Hackett. He loves Nathaniel Hackett. I mean... They are tight as tight can be, have been since their days together. It's his favorite coach of all times. And to his credit, he came out and said, man, that was really unprofessional, Sean Payton, to do that. Keep your coach's name out of my mouth. See you week five. All those kind of things. And, and, and like, I'm not – no issues with that. But once it came out and then, you know, Roger said, Payton apologized. Are you feeling that apology? Or fuck it, man. Once you put it out there, just, just roll with it, baby. <laughs> I think – I think from the standpoint of just like trash talking, um, no, I think he should probably should have apologized. And I'll say it, I'll say it like this. I know, I know, Bob. I know you're hating life that I'm saying that, but I look at it this way: he he realizes that you know it's a very tough profession to get into. It's very tough to be able to sustain any work as a coach, um, and that you know Peyton's been probably had his moments where people said you're a fucking idiot how can how do you how'd you ever come become a coach in the first place i mean in fact wasn't he getting his ass whooped on suspension by um basically you know pop warner coaches until he learned how to adopt to uh um you know basically a wishbone or triple option system because he was getting his ass whooped not knowing you know basically the level of football that he was playing at you know, the football level of football at Pop Warner was above him, you know? So I think he probably had remembered that moment and said, you know, we're all fucking idiots from one moment to the next. Um, we all have those idiot, idiot moments. Maybe I should apologize. He did a rotten job. I didn't need to tell everybody that. Everybody in Denver already knew that. Right. You that, know, that, we that did, was what, we didn't it, have to His actions him. came in and, and said that as well. When he came in like, hey, uh, Russell Wilson... Your support crew, fuck them. Get them out of here, man. Yeah. And that uh, suite of offices you have. Here, you can have a little film closet here. Jump in yeah. there and start you're studying. You're not Peyton Manning, okay? Right. You're Let's, not you know, Manning. Exactly. Um, and then the I, last thing I'll say this just about Rodgers is, and Rodgers is going to stand up for his friend. 
that's the thing that you have that's the thing you do you stand up for your friends and family and rogers did that so it, it made sense i stand up for you matt wallman every time you say stupid shit. Hey, look man it happens <laughs> Everybody and I appreciate moments. that greatly, Bob. I really do. I will. I will make sure next time that you're out that I that I stand that when the people who come in that I have try to replace you badmouth you, I'll, I'll stand up for you as well. I do appreciate that. I love you. Let's do it again next too. week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>